Hello, and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins. I have the huge pleasure of hosting TJ Mars of URLaw.org for the second time. So glad to have you here, TJ. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for having me again. It's my pleasure. Mm, my pleasure. So let's chat for just a minute while I'm setting up Rockfin. And uh, we were talking about the weather is unusually cold in, in uh, should I, I don't know if you're in an undisclosed location there. I don't want to say for you oh, yeah, where you are. Top secret. Uh, uh no, it's Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, I try to stay sensitive to that. I did it to someone one time when he said, "Oh, and you're over there," and there's like, "Oh, no, no one's supposed to know." You can look up our address on our website. It's not exactly a <laughs> top secret thing. There you go. Yeah, and uh, so we are live on Rockfin, by the way. And I, I always joke with people about their screen names because they think that they're protecting their identity. But guess what? The controllers know who you are. <laughs> their algorithms yeah. can match up a variety of different things, including your IP address. And you know, I don't know if you can really go off their radar, but what you end up doing is hiding from your friends. Who yeah, pretty much. Don't know who you are. No. So yeah. Okay. Here we comes. have people who become members of our website and they don't want to give us a name. Then they expect us to say, they call up and say, Hey, there's a problem with my account. We go, well, who are you? <laughs> you know, you have to communicate. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Our names are not our enemies. I think that's part of no, you know, no. what we're going to talk about today. And uh, so, yeah, I'd want to just say hello to Glenn Jay, who's in the chat and uh, as King asking some good questions today. Yeah, we're definitely going to be focusing on that. Hello, Patriot 717. And once again, the Rockfin link is here. So without further ado, I would love to introduce TJ. For those of you who aren't familiar, if you didn't catch my first stream with him, please do have a listen to that. It was wonderful. And uh, so over the past 25 years, TJ has developed, uh, has helped hundreds of individuals handling their own legal matters and participated and coached over 300 real estate transactions. He's a licensed real estate agent uh, in Oregon and Washington, also a licensed mortgage broker and mortgage banker and real estate investor, also information creator, which is how I'm most familiar with you, TJ. Uh, he holds professional certificates in securities, insurance. He's certified in jurisdictionary, which we are studying in the Canadian Court Procedure Study Group. Um, we're going to off the map of that, but it's it's a good core foundation for anybody that wants. There is a link below, by the way, in the show notes, if anybody wants to uh, take me up on using my link for the jurisdictionary how to win in court course. Uh, TJ's authored two books and multiple courses on real estate investing, finance, asset protection, information marketing, and e-commerce, and contributed to the book, The Idiot's Guide to Foreclosure Investing, and wrote Foreclosure Profit Machine, which is one of the few books he's predicted, The Real Estate Crash and Market Slump, which began in 2008. Uh, he served as a chairman of Northwest Real Estate Investors Association, one of the most successful associations in the country, has also been interviewed by Wall Street Journal, CNBC Power Lunch, and appeared in dozens of radio programs nationwide. And so why do they not see you as the enemy like the rest of us, by the way, <laughs> on, the, on those ones? I don't know how they see me. I'm not really too concerned with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The law arena, it flies strangely under the radar compared to the truth conspiracy stuff also. I've noticed that, yeah. that you know, when you, when you start poke, trying to poke at the science and... Uh, 
all kinds of, you know, exposing the lies and all of that kind of thing, which could be good, but how productive is it? And here we are on the law side, in my opinion, being much more productive, helping people take action. And it, it's not nearly as attacked because we're not using all their buzzwords or attacking them or slandering anybody. Mm-hmm. So it's super good. Um, over the past 10 years, TJ also developed a ministry on how to avoid becoming a victim of a for-profit legal system while preserving your God-given rights. I, uh, I see uh, you open your meetings with a prayer every time. So that's one of the things that really attracted me to working with you. And I want to talk about that as well, because I, I love okay. the name of, uh, is it, did I just pick that up? Trinity Ministries. Where Trinity did I? Freedom Ministries. Trinity Freedom Ministries. Awesome name. That's amazing. Yeah, so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's also a 20-year plus legal researcher, not a bar member bound attorney who reveals practical ways you can control your own legal matters without a lawyer, because most lawyers' first allegiance is to protect the system. I just discovered recently that the uh, Bar Association is a private membership association. It kind of explains how they get away with a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't fit Mm -hmm. uh, our legal system. Just like the Federal Reserve has nothing to do with the federal government. There you go. We all have these assumptions. Right. It's in name only mm-hmm. just because it's been called like that. Yeah. Express, just a company. Right. Right. There you go. So good. Anything else you want to share with us before we get started with some questions? You had a lot of questions. I think we'll cover a lot of ground with that. Uh, so I'm just, uh, I think... Uh, Maybe just a little introduction. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not here to give you legal advice. Uh, Even on our website, we tell you right up front, we're not giving you legal advice. That's you want to hire, get legal advice, you hire an attorney Mm -hmm. or do your own research. Now, we do teach you how to do a better job of doing your own research and finding solutions for your situations. Uh, We're there to teach you. We're no more the your legal advisor than the professor in colleges for the lawyer that teaches the lawyers how to do what they do. They don't jump out and tell you how to fix your case after you go out and become a practicing lawyer. You know, you you have to take personal responsibility. Our program is about personal responsibility. It's not about conspiracy theories. It's about not about sovereign citizenship, although there is some element of that because we do have some rights that we just fail to practice. But philosophically speaking, you know, we're here just to help you understand what power you already have, even without even a special status at most times. And, um, you know, and then how to uh, to better achieve your goal, whatever it is. And I can also tell you this. It's a lot harder to buy the insurance after the fire starts. Yeah. So you don't wait till you have a problem to start learning this stuff. It uh, it might motivate you a little bit. But then when you're under the pressure and you have no experience and no preparation, it makes it a lot more difficult. So our goal is to get you thinking way ahead before you ever need this. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, you know, I don't want to actually use any of this stuff or go to court if I don't have to. And and you teach that, you know, settle your matters before your your, uh, court, maybe your discovery is going to bring about a judgment. Mm -hmm. And if you have a a real case, I keep hearing this, that that you really should never go to trial. Yeah, if you get bad, really bad facts against yourself, you know, maybe you did kill the guy or you did rob the bank, um, there's no level of status that gets you out of something magically. Mm-hmm. There's people on the internet that'll tell you that, but I'm just being straight up with you, there is a purpose for our justice system, and it is to protect people from other people that are doing mm-hmm. harm to people. But then mm-hmm. its problem is it's gone way, way, way beyond that. 
in terms of creating statutes, codes, and rules that may or may not even apply to you, but you believe they do. So therefore, it's easy to draw you into the battle and uh, take advantage of your lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent points. I just want to repeat that. So when you're afraid, you don't make good decisions. Mm -hmm. So behind the eight ball is not a good time to start studying law. But when you have an even nervous system and you have control over what it is that you're uh, you're doing in that moment, maybe you have the opportunity to even go on the offense a little bit rather than be behind somebody else's eight ball in the court system. Uh, self-responsibility, it's all about that. People often, I mean, you must get so many um, emails and phone calls all day long. TJ, help me, I'm in trouble. And all, all yeah. I can do is point them towards education. And, you know, sometimes the, the right connection. I know you and I had a quick chat and, uh, and was able to get somebody on a good track with something serendipitously you had, uh, had already just put out to your group. And I know they signed up for your group. So I do highly recommend that. I'm trying to sign up myself right now. And I hear I, 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 uh, hear I was just um, uh, approved for, for uh, being part of your group. So that's awesome. And just a quick hello before we get uh, more into this to Patriot 717. TJ is on point. I use knowledge from his site in court and it worked. There you go. I love your calls too. You have success stories. That helps so much, by the way. When you see other people getting results, suddenly you see yourself inside of it. And uh, hello to Annette and David Michael, Fluttership there. Sane lady, nice to see you, fellow Manitoban. So speaking of the legal system, TJ, what is, I know you're not a genie or a, a soothsayer or anything like that, but how do you Some see? people think I am. But... <laughs> <laughs> no. There you go. There you go. So what do you think is going to happen to our legal system? Some people say, I, I was actually going to ask Amanda Vollmer and Dean Clifford the other day when I had them on, that, uh, you know, Amanda was saying law is over. The system is crumbling to its <laughs> knees. I don't even know if she'd say that another day. And then uh, Dean said law is wonderful if we use it. And I think that's a little bit more what you, where you would be coming from. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, having been through the ringer a couple of times myself, I learned what doesn't work, what does work. And yeah, the more I study the legal system, it actually, the better it looks. I mean, I, I agree with Dr. Graves and his jurisdictionary approach. He says, we have this legal system, but we fail to understand how to use it. And it will take full advantage of our lack of knowledge. And um, even the Bible, and I use the Bible because it's such a good legal tool to use. And one of which is that we perish for our lack of knowledge. Didn't say we perish for lack of a good accountant, a good attorney, a good realtor, or a good. If we perish for our lack of knowledge, we don't pick up something. We don't read anymore. Uh, the more our society becomes dependent on electronic media and things like that, the poorer our ability is to read and to understand and comprehend. In fact, our, they've done studies. Our attention spans are so short now because of this conditioning of constantly, you know, bleep, bleep, bleep. You know, it's just constantly interrupting you. I mean, I'm guilty of that, too. But without the ability to read and understand some of the law, we are severely handicapped. So what are we told to do? Find a good lawyer. And there's an oxymoron. But um, I'm not saying that there's no good ones, but for the most part, you, I, I rarely, rarely, rarely see people get the same result with a lawyer than they end up getting by themselves without one. Rarely. I'm not saying it never happens because some mm -hmm. people just aren't ready. They're able to do anything. 
But mm -hmm. once you enter into that realm, once you begin to use that resource, that public officer of the court, he works for the court. I don't care whether you're paying him money or not. His allegiance is to the court. This is outlined in Corpus Juris Secundum. It explains it. Is you're about his fourth on his list of duties. He has duty to the bar association, the court, the state, and then to you. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. why he's going to go in there and only do certain things because they have the they've got you know they got his bar card, they got his license, and they got all these other things that they can use to sort of keep them from going too far. Now there is a place for them in the sense that they know they understand procedures, and I think that's where they they beat us most of the time on a procedural issue. I was just talking this morning with a couple of guys about one case that says, "Man, you guys got the best case, the best facts, all this stuff, but your procedure is going to get knocked out right off the bat." There you go. Exactly. Facts and law are irrelevant if you don't know a little bit about procedures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's other ways to knock these guys out of the game, but. Boy, if you don't get that, that's again why I recommend so so wholeheartedly the How to Win in Court Without a Lawyer course as part of what you're learning, because it'll get you focused on procedures. And whether you think that I don't have to follow procedures because I'm a caveman and I live in a cave and I kill water buffalo for dinner and I don't use Federal Reserve notes, I don't use credit cards and blah, 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 and all this stuff because I'm a sovereign. Well, if you go shoot somebody, they don't care whether you're what you are. There you go. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well said. You. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you got to get real about this stuff sometimes. Yeah, definitely. You have to take personal responsibility for situations we get ourselves into, even if it's because of ignorance. Mm -hmm. They always they always tell you ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Mm -hmm. That's right. You have a duty to also learn some of these things. It's not impossible. It's not so big that you can't learn it. But when you're starting from zero and you're just getting into it, yeah, it'll seem real overwhelming. But, you know, we, the old saying is, is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And so um, mm -hmm. we try to be that place where you can kind of come, gather your thoughts, uh, study this, study that. And, and as you begin to do this, you begin to realize just how powerful it really is. I mean, I just have, I have two great success stories this week. That, oh, lay it on us. Oh, you want to hear this? Okay. Well, yes, of course. Example of, I had one guy who was a friend of mine. He very stubborn. Very patriot-like guy, you know. I'm a I'm a non-U.S. citizen, this, that, and the other thing. I said, that's great, but what are, what are you charged with? Well, you're charged with possibly assaulting this woman. Now I know the facts of the case. Actually, she assaulted him on his property, destroyed his property, and then left, and they arrested him for the thing. They never even looked at his property. They never even looked at the evidence. But wow. of course, he's the man, so he was obviously being charged. Uh, I happen to know a particular judge. He says, oh, I love cases like this because I see how often this happens to men. Now, it's not to say that men aren't guilty quite often, but I'm saying this is one of those perfect examples. And, I, and so we worked for quite a while and went almost three and a half years of him doing the things I was suggesting he did. He even got he even hired an attorney after I told him not to. But then he eventually got rid of the attorney. Actually, he got the attorney to quit. That's what I had him do. Don't you, It's hard to fire one, but it's easy to get him to quit. <laughs> And if you do certain things and um, legitimately, I mean, they're just not fulfilling their duties. And uh, he actually had two prosecutors quit during the case. They just gave up and moved on. We don't know if it had anything to do with us. I doubt it. Probably people take credit when they don't know. I don't know. So I don't take credit. But I do know that they, this thing's thing happened. I kept saying, you just hang around long enough. 
they're going to start looking at this evidence. They haven't even looked at his, he went to him several times and said, have you even looked at the evidence? Oh, no, we'll get to that when the trial comes. Well, wait a minute, I don't want to go to trial. I mean, if you look at the evidence, you'll clearly see you should drop the case. And he couldn't get these attorneys to do it. They would not present the case to the prosecutor. And, it, and they're violating Matthew 18, verse 15, 16, and 17. Which it says, if you've got a brother, go to if you got a problem, go to your brother and, and talk about it, and then bring a second witness is the next one. And that's actually bringing yourself and an attorney and talking about it. You're supposed to go talk to the other side. Even if it's a prosecutor and you think he's just, you know, something from the or the crown and all that kind of stuff. I don't care. You still there's a level where you just communicate with them. And uh, finally, though, after all this time, after another prosecutor quitting, the prosecutor contacts him and says, OK, we understand you don't have an attorney at this point. Are you going to hire an attorney? And if not, can you come talk to us? And he's like, oh, I don't want to go talk to him. I said, no, no. He just gave you your doorway. He said, you can come talk to him. I said, you got it. You know, but he was so emotional. This guy's pretty sharp. He knows his legal stuff. But he was getting so emotional, he wasn't making any sense. I just, I literally had to swear on it a few times. Would you please stop? Pick up the phone, point out three bad facts that they have. Just point it out and say, now look, you got these really bad facts here. Now we're going to go to trial. You know, these facts are bad. You really don't probably want to go to court with these bad facts. And the guy actually listened because he was very, prof I said, be professional, be like an attorney, be talk to him eye to eye, be polite. Politeness gets you a long ways, believe it or not, still in this mm -hmm. world. And say, these are problems with your case. Are you sure you want to go to trial with this? He was speaking like an attorney would have, his attorney should have done this two years ago, but wouldn't do it. So finally he got his chance. And the guy goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, he goes, we really haven't looked into all that. He says, in light of that, you're right. Maybe we should make you a deal. They weren't ready to drop. I didn't think they would drop the case at this stage. They have too much invested. But sometimes you got to cut your losses. Now, Indeed. his attorney was like, okay, well, they got you down to five years in prison and, you know, and, you know, $500,000 fine, blah, 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 blah. That's the best his attorney would get him. And the guy says, I'll tell you what, we'll give you six months in jail and uh, five years probation and these fines and, and I told him, I said, no matter what they offer you, and this is my, you asked a question about negotiating in your questions. Mm -hmm. This is how I always do it. It's the same thing over and over again. And it always works is whatever they offer you, you're not going to accept it, but you're going to you're going to do it very politely. You're going to say, Oh, BS. I'm not doing that. No, is that's really interesting. Hmm. I'll have to consider that. But see, reality is, is, you remember those three facts we just talked about? It goes back to his leverage, right? The leverage of those three points. It says, are you sure with those facts you don't, you really want to go to trial with this? Or you want to just do something where we can just kind of like, maybe we can both avoid going to that trial because it's not going to be pretty for you. And that's kind of how he said it. So he, he mm -hmm. brought back his points again. And they said, the guy came back 15 minutes later and says, 12 months probation and a $500 fine. Amazing. And I, and I said, wow. how fast can you run down there with 500 bucks and put it on his desk? Because <laughs> this thing just died. Yeah, oh you've got a little ding on your record. You know, you probably shouldn't have even been involved with this woman. You know, there was probably some signs there, you know, but you got you considering how the system is going to tear you down. Sometimes you could just cut your losses. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. would have never got that deal with an attorney. He didn't. He got it himself. And then 24 hours three and a half years of hell was over. There you go. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. And congratulations. Yeah.
Too. And then there was another story. I was I was actually um, out with my family on Thursday afternoon, taking the day off and touring around a place called Hood River, Oregon. It's a beautiful place where there's the windsurfing capital of the world. It's just this gorgeous scenery. And um, we were out there hanging out. And I got a call from this one fellow. And he says, well, my case just got dismissed. And this is another one of these cases that's been around a long time. But he's using our same technique, this technique of demanding certain things, requesting certain things. They won't provide it. And without them providing it, it deprives you of the Sixth Amendment right to know the nature and cause of your charge. They literally don't ever tell you that in most cases. Mm -hmm. They say they do, but they really don't. And so he kept demanding this information. Finally, after a while, they finally said, look, tell you what, we'll, 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 if you'll do a psyche valve, you pass the psyche valve, we'll let the case go. And he's like, well, should I do it? Should I do it? I said, well, are you crazy? People, th people think the psyche valve is a trick. And it can be a tricky environment. And so in other words, they could say you're not competent. And the reason he, they were giving them the psyche valve, he didn't understand this, is because he was making two different arguments. You see, the, the judge catches this. You're making a private argument and a public argument. You're making a good factual argument, but you're also saying, oh, and I'm a sovereign and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, well, wait a minute. I guess, do you want me to, you, you can't, the court can't have jurisdiction to dismiss the case if you don't give the court jurisdiction to do it. Uh -huh. See, that's crazy. And they get people, people get psyche valves all the time because they fight both sides of it instead of staying in one fight and sticking to it. So anyway, this went on and on. And he went through all the evals and I said, just, just be yourself. Be, don't play, don't bring up any of this stuff about your sovereign and your status and all this stuff. You know, there's, you know, there, there's a real case here if, you, if you're not careful. So um, he stuck to it. And then all of a sudden on Friday, I guess it was Thursday, they called him and says, We're just letting you know, the entire case has been dropped, dismissed completely. Wow. And awesome. he had an attorney. He had to get rid of the attorney. He had to go through that whole. And this is a nightmare process getting the attorneys in. Once you get them in, you are stuck unless you know how to get out the right way. They really pull you into the system. And then you can't speak. You can't do certain things. You can't even ask for certain things. And in this case, he got got rid of them. And they kind of got to that psyche valve thing. And that was tricky. Uh, I don't like them. I don't ever recommend people do them unless the situation is just right. You've set up everything just right. And they basically said, if you do this, we'll do that. And he just stuck it out and uh, fully case dismissed. And it was a would have involved many years of jail, felony, the whole thing. So wow. doesn't always go that smoothly. And he pointed out to me, he says, most people could never make it through what I went through. They would have just cut a deal, gone to jail. By now, they would have been out. But they would also have a felony and a couple of years in prison. That really, and in this case, it was one of the situations where there was no victim. There was really no crime. It was just paper stuff. And uh, he had no intent. And so it, it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have been going on for a long time. Anyway, the good news is, is there's another free guy. who, who But because of his own efforts going in and doing it for himself, it wasn't me. It was really him. He just, he puts the energy in. I just give him some ideas. He had to throw a few other little things in there, but he, he kept it in the, the right realm, which is important, and uh, won his case. So these things do happen. Very good. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And and such a good point. I don't want to get uh, too far off, traffic, uh, off track because I do have lots of questions on negotiations and questions to ask as king mm -hmm. and uh, signature amendments, those kind of things. But um, two, two things. Uh, one was how do, how do you get a lawyer to quit? Maybe take that on second. 
and and then the first thing, let's see if I can get it back now that I said all of that, um, just about how people are trying so hard to not give over jurisdiction to the court. And it's the very thing that, from what you just said, it allows them to actually dismiss your case. So yeah. You're asking point. to do the impossible. Right. Is, they, they can kind of get rid of the case. But the reality is, is some people jump to the no jurisdiction argument so quick without thinking about, well, what? why is there no jurisdiction? Do I even know when I say that? Can I explain it to them? Mm -hmm. uh, again, it takes a little more knowledge than just reading a, a document you got off the Internet. Uh, mm -hmm. You can just say, I challenge jurisdiction, and that's it. Technically speaking, once jurisdiction is challenged, they have to prove it. That's true. But how do you um, challenge jurisdiction and be sure that they don't have it? And then how do you make them prove it? And how do you stand on that? That's tricky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you got to understand what it is you're actually asking them to do. But, in, but the, one of the best lessons I learned is, is if, you, if you're challenging jurisdiction and then you're asking the court to make a decision, you're asking for two things at the same time that are opposite. Mm -hmm. How can the court get the jurisdiction to give a judgment on a matter it doesn't have jurisdiction for? And so it's so, got to make sense when you ask for it. Mm -hmm. So how does one know when it's advantageous to give over jurisdiction? Thanks, Sane Lady. Well, I think it's good to know, really understand the nature of your case and what it's really about. And what are they really alleging? Can they prove? Uh, is the statute even valid? That's where you can get kind of get into things a little bit. Um, Quite often, it's not, believe it or not. Um, I've had long discussions with many different levels of federal law, for example, where they might have statute, and it, it appears you might have violated the statute, but there's a problem. This For the statute to go into full effect, just because it was voted on Congress doesn't make it law yet. It has to be also implemented as a regulation. If it never makes it to the regulated, implemented stage and is published to the public, and we're talking about administrative stuff, right? If you violate it and it's never been published to the public, have you been notified? And notification is everything in law. That's why Matthew 18, verse 15, 16, and 17 works the way it does. It's about giving notice and communicating first in the private before you take it into the public, the court. And... What we do is we go in there and just blow that off. And if we don't bring it up, they'll push it right into the court. And you lose that opportunity to resolve the issue privately because there's this issue of notice that's been missing. But the court will sure give you notice, won't they? Mm -hmm. They do it every time. Why? Because they know that's how they gain jurisdiction. But giving you notice and you're res by responding and answering, you're giving, you're really agreeing to, I don't say giving jurisdiction, they have it or they don't, but you're agreeing to go in and resolve it in their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very so. good. Thank you. Alrighty, where do we go from here? So how do you get a lawyer to quit? <laughs> I don't want to bypass First that. First of all, you've got to know why you would want that to happen, mm -hmm. and you better have a plan. Mm -hmm. Getting them to quit is not always the answer. Mm -hmm. um, because you may not then, okay, now what? I mean, you're going to do something. You better know what comes next. You know, if it's, you know, you're, play, you're planning four downs in football, you plan all four downs. You don't just play the first one and go, okay, what do you want to do now, guys? No, this is second, third, and fourth, right? You, you, mm -hmm. Everything has to have a, a, a somewhat of a follow-up plan. So you can do it intelligently. Um, if you, for like sometimes people get appointed a public defender in a criminal case. Um, 
Well, they, they, the, what they'll do is they'll say, well, we're going to appoint you a public defender. And you stand there, but your silence is your agreement. They're going to need a written contract for that. They got witnesses all around you that said, yeah, you didn't do anything about it. You didn't object. You didn't uh, follow through on if you did object. Uh, you know, they didn't say give conditions. I'll accept that under certain conditions. And those conditions might be that, hey, you go to jail if, if you screw up. You stand in for me. Whatever. I'm just saying you could you could come with all kinds of clever conditions to avoid that. But again, you still have to know what your plan is. You just don't do it. And with because the judge in an instant will see whether you have a plan or not, whether you're following through. And if you're being belligerent and stupid, he has a duty to give you a lawyer. Because you're acting incompetent. Right. Okay? right. Competency is a, is a legal term. Not a psychological term. Mm-hmm. You're just acting like you're not able to handle it yourself. This is right. why preparation, this is why practice, this is why I tell people, go to, go to the court. If you want to really learn this stuff, go sit in on various different kind of court proceedings and watch and take notes. See how people act and how they communicate. You've got to act and communicate like that. Even though you aren't necessarily going to play that game, you still have to have a decorum that makes it look like you fit in. Otherwise, they're going to hit you with contempt and you know send you to jail. You usually will never get hit with contempt as long as you're actually making intelligent arguments. Mm-hmm. And acting in a proper way, just as you would a guest in anybody else's house. Mm, yeah, yeah, nicely it said. It makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Being mm-hmm. belligerent does not work. Now, mm-hmm. you're, back to your question about getting rid of the lawyers, though. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if you've hired it, it's, it's per, hired them, it's pretty easy to get them to just resign. And they notify the court. They do the work. They tell, notify the court. The court will say, well, we need a hearing to see whether you need counsel or you're competent or what. Uh, but quite often, <laughs> this is sort of a, a kind of a little advanced technique, but it's, it's an interesting one you can always research. And that is, for example, this gets deep into the history of lawyers, whether they're foreign agents of the crown and all that. It, actually, that's really the, what, what all we've ever been able to find, that that's true, actually. Mm-hmm. The Bar Association is a British association. And they come here from Britain. They're like foreign intruders. But not only that, I mean, even coming into each state, they're foreign because they're from a foreign agency. See, people, we think of foreigners as maybe somebody from Mexico coming across the Texas border. That's not, in legal terms, that's not foreign. Foreign means it's from another jurisdiction. Uh-huh. Now, if you're in the private and they're in the public, that's another jurisdiction. If you're in Oregon and they're in Washington, that's another jurisdiction. If they're from the District of Columbia, doing a court in your state under a federal court. That's still another jurisdiction. They're foreign. Mm-hmm. So why couldn't you challenge them under the Foreign Registration Act? Have they registered as a foreign agent to do practice in your jurisdiction? Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. It's, we're using the legal term foreign. It's not they speak French. You know, it's because they're from a foreign jurisdiction. Have they properly registered to do business in that jurisdiction. You'd find that in most cases they haven't. Mm-hmm. So if they're mm-hmm. coming after you with a suit or uh, maybe even a federal charge, you might want to look into that, see if that might apply. I'm not going to tell you it does or doesn't. I'm just simply telling you it's a reasonable argument and something to bring up. Foreign Registration Act. And then, um, then if they are, uh, it does that violate their bar agreement? And my conclusion is, and what I found, and again, do your own homework, is is 
uh, yeah, they're they're violating your rights. And if a one of these foreign agents comes in and violates your rights, you have a right to complain to their association that they are violating something like that. And it only takes like one or two complaints against um, a, an attorney for him to lose his ability to be an attorney ever again. Right. So mm -hmm. if you want a little leverage, that's something to consider. But I'm going to caution you. Be very, very careful. I don't suggest doing this against judges because the judge actually is the one who can work for you if you know how to communicate. It's the, uh, and although he may be a bar member himself, you know, he may somewhat lean toward that guy. You still have to know how to keep the judge somewhat on your side. The other part is, is this isn't meant to just go out there and start filing complaints against attorneys. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you can identify that they have violated your rights in some capacity or they're operating outside their jurisdiction in some capacity illegally, you have a duty to report a crime. Now, if you can identify that clearly, not just something you made up because you're pissed, it's because you're you really, you know, I, I can I can back this argument up. That might be the time to look into the bar complaint or the Foreign Registration Act and that sort of thing. Now, they'll never agree that that applies. <laughs> you can't expect a judge to go. Great job. You got us. You mm -hmm. figured it's all out. <laughs> No, what they're going to do is they come up with some excuse for something to happen to make this go away or a little deal on the side to let you kind of walk a light. But um, it makes them real nervous when you start exposing. So and our goal is not to expose. You talked about earlier. Our goal is not to expose the system. My, our goal is to show that when these people are acting illegally, we have a duty to expose that. You see, okay. we as the citizens of the United States and people don't like to use that term because it implies US citizenship and all that. There's a place for that, but it's not really what's going to help you win your matter. It's about them. The first thing I teach people is, is look, don't make it about yourself. Make it about what they're doing. Did they follow procedures? Are they the proper party? Do they have the proper background? If you don't discovery request the hell out of them, you'll never find out. And Dr. Graves agrees with this, discovery. The, discovery. the cases are won or lost on discovery. Keep hammering that. But if you mm -hmm. ask the right questions, eventually they're going to find one they don't want to answer or they don't want to be exposed for. And if they're doing it, then you have a duty to do it. It's not a, I'm pissed and I'm doing it because they're doing it to me. I'm, no, it's because I have a duty to the public to let them know this guy's operating outside the law. Mm, that's so beautiful. I'm surprised how much they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a fantastic principle that applies in a lot of different arenas. And as a business coach, yeah. I'm always saying, don't focus on yourself when you go out there to, you know, market or message or whatever you're doing. It's all about them. And, and that's, that's the true story. That's why you're in business in the first place is to mm -hmm. serve and assist and, and bring people to a place they couldn't get to, uh, fast enough on their own or, or get there at all on their own. And if you come out talking about yourself, then they don't care. They care they don't about. Care. They yeah. don't care. They care about themselves. And and then you have to be so full of yourself and puff yeah. yourself up and make yourself so great, which is all just a bunch of BS. Nobody likes anyway. But if you the truly focus roll up, on the, other... and the, the hand goes over there, like talk to the hand. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I, I have a I have a guy who I, I I agree with you totally because this does apply in so many things in life. I have a a company that uh, I invested something into, and they make a machine. And uh, this guy loves to go out to trade shows. Man, he shows on the machine and all the bells and whistles and the gears and all this. He's an engineer and he's really good at showing the machine. 
I said, but the guy who's standing there wants to know one thing. What does it do for me? Mm-hmm. And then that's a simple thing. This right. thing will make you money because this is a car wash show. As the cars come through, they can throw their, their carpets in this machine. It'll wash the carpets and you can charge extra for that. That'll bring you X amount of dollars a day. Now, does that have anything to do with the machine? No, it has to do with how much the machine will make him. What will it do for him? And that's what all people care about is what it'll do for them. If mm-hmm. I'm going in court with the judge, I'm there to assist the judge and I act that way. Nice. I'm not there to fight him. I'm not there to fight the other guy. I'm there to assist the judge in finding justice. Now, that attitude works really well. That's and brilliant. there's um, a book um, called Trying Cases to Win. I think, I don't know if that's the I'm trying to remember this. Sorry, I'm forgetting the author's name, but Trying Cases to Win in one volume. It's a, an expensive little book. It's about $200. But that book tells you how to go into court and become the court's advocate instead of ever fighting the court. We're here to get justice. We're here to get to the facts. And I want to get to it right. And if, by the way, I've done something wrong, you should give me 100 years, not 10. But if I haven't and the court is actually seeking justice, then I'm here to assist in disclosing the facts. But listen, And then you start laying out the things you found, never as an attack, but just by making the obvious things obvious that show that maybe they don't have a case. Now, if you've got a losing case, you better just try to figure out how to cut a deal and move on because you've screwed up. Mm-hmm. We, you know, This is not about getting away with anything. This is about not getting caught up in an administrative court system that is just merely there to to catch you up on little nickel and dime statutory violations that may or may not even apply or even be based on law because there's no regulation written to enforce it. You got to think about there's the regulations are like the glue that hold statutes together. If um, you said that you violated XYZ statute, a title 26, a tax one or a securities or something that's just this paper world that we deal with. And You simply should be asking, well, where is the implementing regulation? Is it published in the Federal Register? And was I given, how could I have been given notice if it's not published to the public? Because that's where you take the law and then you interpret it and you make it explainable to the average person. Because most statutes are so broad and vague, you don't know what they even mean. You really, if you read them carefully, you really think you understand them, you really don't. That's why there's court. That's why there's appeals courts. That's why there are court arguments, because it's all to interpret. What does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Very few people are ever asked about the regulations. The Federal Register Act, for example, and the, um, um, it's the Federal Register Act, and there's several Supreme Court cases on this, but it says without an implementing regulation, the statute has no force and effect in law. Yet people go to prison all the time for violating statutes. Well, yeah. then, then I'm talking about at the federal level, but this kind of applies at the state level, too. They have their own procedures for regulations. So if it's just because it was passed doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to get arrested for it because nobody's written a regulation to explain it to the public. Because you have to be willful, willful to commit a crime. That means you have to know what the law was and you intentionally violate it. Well, if I couldn't even know what it was because it was never published, how can I be willful? Right. See how that's just a logical progression. It's this, but the, the regulations are the glue that holds it together. And rare, few people ever look at the regulations or look at if there is a regulation and what the requirements are for there to be one for that statute to be enforced. So in other words, the statutes, there's, there's, there's like 90% of the federal statutes don't have regulations. Yet we're running from them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There now you go, yes. 
it's crazy. I mean, yeah. you just have to ask those right questions and you can protect yourself. So your protection mm-hmm. isn't come just from there. Certain st- status is important, but status to me is a knowledge level. It's an enlightenment level. Mm, oh, good. Everything's I'm so glad there. to hear you, you say that. Use, you can use all these tools. It's already there. You just don't know how to use them. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. freedom comes from knowledge, not from hiding in a cave and living as a caveman. Mm-hmm. A lot of people try to do that. And I just like, that doesn't make sense. I got a family, I got kids. I don't want to do that. You know, yeah. I want to be fairly comfortable. I want to do business. I want to do good commerce, treat people fairly, make lots of money if that's what I want to do mm-hmm. or not if I want to do that. But I don't have to let all that stuff get in the way of living a, a, a fairly normal life. Do, I mean, like, do I have a driver's license? Yeah, because if I want my kid to learn how to drive in these streets out here, he has to get one. And for him to get one, I have to have one. I mean, it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't want him playing the game of knowing the law when he's 18 years old. Next thing yeah. you know, he's in prison. And that's mm-hmm. how they get everybody hooked in, by just people doing foolish things. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't have these things. I'm simply saying you have to understand the consequences, act accordingly. I can handle a ticket just as well with or without a license. It doesn't matter to me. That I can probably handle it better because they can go, here's your papers. You have any, you, you, and then they'll ask you a question, for example. I mean, here's how you do a ticket. Pretty simple. I hand them the papers. I go, here you go. Before they even ask, I've got it out the door. <laughs> okay. And so then you- it's like, uh, you know, this license registration. Oh, here you go. So, you know, I pulled you over. Am I required to answer any questions? Well, no, but I just want to ask you, do you know why I pulled you over? Well, you, did you, am I required to answer any questions? Well, no. Okay. Well then I'll choose to remain silent. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. Nice. Nice. And by handing them your. In in traffic court is what was the first thing he said? I want him to say that. You protect your rights because they, they, they'll use that first word out of your mouth as testimony against yourself. Okay. Everything you say and do will be used against you. They, they talk about from hello on. I had you at hello. <laughs> there you go. And so is that a fallacy that by handing them your driver's license and registration, you're creating jointer? Well, they'll know whether you, I mean, you already created it by getting the license. You've created it by putting that ever having or ever having one and not properly getting rid of it. If you want to get rid of it, there's a way to do it, but letting it expire is not it. It's still it's still in their system. The contract is still there. Mm-hmm. If you have tags on your car, when you registered the car, you gave the state a joint ownership in the car. Mm-hmm. It's called split title. You gave them a legal title and you have equitable title. You have the right to use it and they hold the legal title. I think I got that right. So there's a split title issue. And and there's other guys to talk about this in detail. The issue is, is that's just the way it is. Everything's done through trusts and that's a trust arrangement. And so just being in that car and you being that person that was associated with it in some way or not, that, that car is partially the state's property. And Romans chapter 13 says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, pay the tax to Caesar. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That's essentially what it means. It means if you give Caesar an interest in you or your property, you now must render unto him something that he has an interest in. You have a contract. So honor it. Right. It doesn't mean you have to just bow down and take whatever they give you, but 
you that's this where you're at. That's what you're into. You're into a trust agreement, a contract. Mm -hmm. Now, if you understand trust agreements, and contracts, you can handle it. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. But, it, but we in a system that's bankrupt. The only way the fund system gets funding is through us giving interest in all of our stuff to them, like your property, your house. It's a legal title and it's you've given the county an interest in it. When you have a, ch a kid in a hospital, you sign a birth certificate, making the state a party to the trust that was created for the child. They have a they have a legal title to the child. That's why they didn't come and take them. They have an interest in protecting it. It's their trust asset they have to protect. Why? Because they need assets to pay the national debt. It's all about the national debt. Is it wow. bad? Is it evil? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's bad or evil. To me, it's just a it's just a way of operating that we have to learn to do. Mm -hmm. You can fight it, and the people that say, "Oh, the system's going away; it's all going to collapse," and all that, yeah, maybe I don't really care. I just care about that right now. I can deal with it. You know, you it's go. meant for us to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. We are the beneficiaries of it. It was set up for our benefit. But if we act incompetent and we try to violate these trusts that were created for us, well, then we're we're the ones violating the trust. And we don't even realize it. And, of course, then their job is as public trustees is to protect the trust. Mm -hmm. That's their mm -hmm. job. So when right. they hold you back or hold you down and you're trying to I mean, I can't walk into this. There's a, a barbershop down the street. I can't walk in there and say, hey, I want to take some money out of your cash register. You know, even though I bought a share of the company, no, you still can't do it because it's a trust. They're supposed mm -hmm. to, they have an administrator, they have to administer something. Our public trustees, our courts, our police officers, all these things, they are fulfilling duties as agents of this trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Always remember that they have a job. It's not our job to fight them, our job is to get them to work for us. And when you go to court, that judge is is a trustee, but he is working for you as a beneficiary to administer something on your behalf. And when as soon as you start stepping outside of that and acting a fool or trying to take from or you deny, by the way, pleading guilty or innocent is to argue with mm. your trustee. Mm. Either one. And Interesting. You wonder how did I get into jurisdiction? Well, because you're arguing with yourself. You're being in the Bible talks about being double-minded. You'll be lost. These judges see it in a second. Oh, this person's double-minded. And they get you there quick. They want you there because, you know, then they know they can just push you right through the system, collect some money, move on down the road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the alternative to arguing is asking questions, being yep. as king. Uh, I want to right. just back up quickly before we go on to that and to ask about um, communicating directly with judges. So I've learned recently that you should never do that. And why is that? <laughs> I have a, I actually can claim that I have a, a, a family friend that's a judge here locally. Mm -hmm. People go, oh my gosh, you're consorting with the enemy. Well, I'm collecting intelligence, you know? <laughs> and uh, he's a great guy. He's just a normal guy. He's a guy that goes to work and supports his family and does the things that, you know, people do. Um, I don't see him as the enemy. As a matter of fact, that uh, he and I have some very interesting conversations. And he's like, I've never met somebody that's not a lawyer that knows what you know. And man, I take it even to another level sometimes. And he always respects that. He's like, well, you're not wrong. So we can have a normal conversation. But he's um, he talks about how people come into court who try to play the, um, you know, you have no jurisdiction thing. Again, 
and they don't do it right. He says, if they would just learn, he would tell me this is if they would just learn procedures, they could do a lot of what they're trying to do, hmm. but their priority isn't to follow procedures. Their priority is to just take a quick fix, silver bullet. They learned on the internet and hopefully that's going to just get away with it. He says, you don't think we see that in a split second. Yeah. We see it all day long. It's weird. You're the first one to come here and say, well, I'm not claiming to be a citizen. So you can't talk to me, even though I ran over a kid. You know right. what I'm saying? It just, it just, yeah. your facts, your information, everything's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You don't no, have very... to win on the facts, by the way. You simply mm -hmm. just got to have some common sense. And you know, he just says, if these people would just learn a little bit about procedures, I'd give them everything they're asking for. I work for them. He's told mm -hmm. me this. Mm -hmm. But they don't treat me as though I can. And they don't act like they can properly give me an intelligent order, understanding how what our relationship is. So I have to take over. That's my job. My job is to, and he doesn't say these words, but his job is to protect the trust. Everything is in trust. So yeah. then he has to deal with them harshly. And so what would be the the harm, understanding that you shouldn't communicate directly by, you know, letter or phone them up or show up at their at their house to no, communicate not, directly? With that's them? not the procedure. It's the procedure thing. Got it. Got it. There's yeah, a, it's a violation of procedure. Following procedures. I've been, been told by so, I mean, Thank there you. was a federal case I was involved in. I had a lawyer saying they won't do this. They won't do that. He could walk in there and says, okay, well, watch me. And I walked in and the judge, you know, when I was done, he says, well, you know, you've shown respect for the court. You've, you've, you've spoken to us intelligently. He says, you can, I'm going to let you speak without your attorneys and everything. They usually don't let you do that. And um, um, I was able to say, look, your honor, you know, like the thing that they were trying to do, I said, you know, you want you want to hold on to some this that some asset or restrict my time, and this is all pre-trial stuff. And and I said, you know, if I read the Fourth Amendment correctly, let me let me point out something I saw there. It says nobody nobody should be deprived of life, liberty, or the, you know, without due process. It says, have we completed due process yet, Your Honor? Well, no, we're not there yet. Okay, so we haven't gone to trial yet, right? Then why am I being deprived of life, liberty, and due process? before I've had due process. And he's like, he goes, Mr. Prosecutor, do you have any argument against that? And he goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And he gave me everything I wanted because I did it right. I delivered an intelligent argument. I, I put it in the right context. And there were several other things. I used fourth, fourth, fifth, and sixth amendment. And people say, oh, you can't go to court and use the constitution. I said, it depends on how you do it. I posed a challenge to the court to, show that their order is not in violation of that. That's some people call it an order to show cause, but I mean, just speaking to the court, I just did it like that. And the, 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 the judge was amazing. He, he followed my lead and he, he had no argument. He just turned to the prosecutor and says, well, what is, what do you say? And I mean, the guy, the prosecutor slammed his pencil down and sat down and like, ah, you know, they, they hated going to hearings with me. Because I would just always bring up one or two really good questions that just they couldn't go anywhere. They expected me to argue and, you know, and say patriot stuff and all this stuff. And I said, that wasn't appropriate for that situation. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you got to think. It's not just a, again, it, it shows ignorance when you go in there doing those things because you're looking for silver bullets instead of actually understanding the very basic nature of communications and, and negotiation. It was all negotiation. All the lawyers yeah. think. I kept saying, this will be a negotiation when it's all done. No, 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 it's not a negotiation. It's okay, well, let's let's watch. And I just did what I said I did. I said, so therefore, I don't think we should have this here because 
doesn't seem to apply, does it? And I started just knocking these things off. And he's like, yes, that's right. That's right. Okay. Well, that was negotiating. You know, there you go. Are there they some... told me, and they said they've never seen anybody ever do that in court, in a federal court. I'm like, well, because I, because I tried. That's all. I wasn't going to pull a miracle. I just used common sense and was straightforward. There you go. That's awesome. And are there some core principles on negotiating that you follow? Well, obviously, there's a little difference between business negotiating and legal negotiating. Mm-hmm. But and if we talk more about legal, is, is I try to. You talked about it earlier. You said you talk about the benefits, not the features, not the details. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, for example, let's say that they've got a kind of a bad case, like in my friend's case. Mm-hmm. He says, well, I said, take your three best facts, highlight them and say, you know, Your Honor, in light of the court, I mean, in this case, he was talking to the privately, to the prosecutor. When you speak to the prosecutor outside of court, that is private. There is public and private mm-hmm. all the time and everything. Mm-hmm. And privately saying, you know, considering this, 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 these facts are going to come out. You really want this lady testifying because when she does, I'm going to ask her about this. You know, uh, is that really what you want to go into trial and, and, and try to overcome? Or did you? And then I said, or did you have something better in mind than going to trial? Did I say I want to do a plea deal? No. I said, yeah, something better than going to trial in light of that. Is that really what you want to do? So I talk about the effect on them. Nice. So in negotiating, I'm always going to talk about, you know, what's the benefit for them? What's the upside? What's the downside? In light of that, what do you say we talk about this? And so I set it up so that I have, it's called leverage, right? It's just putting, I'm tipping the scale a little bit before I ask. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it comes back like this when he responds. And I said, well, is that really the best you can do? Because, you know, there's still this, 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 and this issue. But if you'll consider those what is really the best you can do? So I just kind of almost dramatically say it like that. I really use sort of that sort of extra emphasis. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was teaching somebody this in a real estate seminar once, I said, this is called the fly on the ceiling negotiating technique. You say, well, Mr. Seller, if I'm able to, you know, and it's, it's one thing to say, now a realtor would say, well, they're going to offer you $200,000. And I'd say, you know what, Mr. Buyer, what is it you're going to get when you sell me this property. When I'm talking to him, I can ask those questions. It's just like having the attorney or not. I can go right to the, the benefit question. This is, well, I owe 150, which means I'll have 50,000 in my pocket. I said, actually, you won't have 50,000 because you got closing costs. You got a realtor fee. So how much do you actually end up with? Let's talk about that. I'll get, well, it'll be like 30,000. I said, okay. So really what we're talking about is $30,000, not 200,000. So I'm talking about what he gets. I said, if I can get a, find, find a way for you to get $30,000 and you can walk away from this property and regardless of all the other fees and regardless of the price, wouldn't that be the same thing? Yes. So I might do a deal where I say, I'll give you $30,000 and you just let me take over the note that's on the property. Then I get it for 180 versus 200 because I kind of kicked out those other fees. And then I've got a property without ever getting a mortgage. And I did, used to do it all the time that way. Wow. They only so do it by good. talking about the benefit to them, not the mechanics. Yeah, finding out what they actually want out of what they actually want, the what they're actually going to get. So in this case, I was talking about the this in a legal situation as well, Mr. Prosecutor, you're going to get this, this, but reality is you're going to have to confront this and you could lose. You know, they always talk to you like you could lose, but I'm doing it the other way around. And so do we really can we do wouldn't it be easier for all of us if we just resolve this now? Yeah, yeah, I would. So 
in light of these these facts, is that really the best? You, is that the best you can do? And then I'm always going to come have a second comeback. And and I always say fly on the ceiling, meaning I'll look at the ceiling like I'm thinking, but I'm really visualizing this fly walk around the ceiling and I'm walking over like this. <laughs> and then I pause. It forces me to pause. Mm. I say, look, considering those facts again, or maybe even this fact, is that really the best you can do? And I slow it down like that. I've almost, I'm out maybe one out of 10 times I do that. I don't get a way better deal. There I have a friend go. that used to sell ink cartridges and I taught him that technique. He says that technique earns me $50,000 more money a year because I do that with every customer. He says this asking a few questions makes me money. I mean, I thought about, you know, you remember Donald Trump was president. He would, he would say all these big, bold things he was going to do. Knowing he's not going to get it all, but he got a lot of what he wanted I said, guys, he's negotiating. When he throws that stuff out there, he's negotiating. It's a starting point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Putting leverage on the tilting the scales. But he knows it's going to move a little bit. But he's, he always went really, really big, didn't he? He didn't like creep his way in like the current guy. He creeps his way in and stays creepy. But, the, the, <laughs> but for this guy, would he would do that. He dumped everything on there. And, you know, knowing some will come off. But he would end up getting what he wanted. That's that's a great negotiator. That's that's the only thing he's good at is negotiating. Really, in my opinion. Yeah, so, yeah. People are afraid to ask for anything. You know, and I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I like the the thing that got me over my hump of that several years ago was that uh, you already have a no, right? If you don't ask, you already have no. So you you've kind of sealed the deal there. So at least by asking, you might you know make room for negotiations. And the number of times I get a yes is staggering. Actually, oh, I surprise myself every time. Yep. Surprise yourself, right? Because you expect the no as part of the script. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you usually get three no's before you get a yes or whatever the number is. And there's a statistic that says something like 83% of the salespeople, 83% of the time, I think it is actually, never ask for the sale. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, there's a sale there. To be had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I worked, uh, I'm not ashamed to say I worked in, it taught me a lot about negotiating, but I worked in timeshare sales many years ago. Mm -hmm. I spent a year walking, watching people walk into a room where the last thing they said before they came in is, we're not buying anything. <laughs> and they would tell me no a bunch of times, but one out of three of them walked out of there with a contract. Hmm. Wow, well three. done. That was the number. Every single time they were, they were all no's. Every single time one out of three would buy it. Why? Because we built, we, we painted a picture. We talked about nothing but benefits to them. They understood it better. It wasn't about the technicalities of the product. It was about what's in it for them. And this is true of every negotiating, whether you're talking to a cop, whether you're talking to a prosecutor, whether you're talking to a, an opposing lawyer, maybe he was suing you. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that situation. Maybe you're being sued by somebody. I mean, it's like 99% of all suits end up in a settlement, right? And so maybe you shouldn't be focused on how much, so much how to win, but how to work out a much better settlement than you might otherwise get, because that's probably what it's going to come down to. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? You, you got to create leverage before you make the offer. And the one technique I know that one guy I know does, he's pretty good at it. 
he goes and he gets the bar card information on the opposing lawyer that's suing and shows that they're operating outside their jurisdiction and files a bar complaint. Usually they'll beg to drop the case when you do that. Hmm. Or they're going to be like, okay, look, just, you know, I'm out of the case. Talk to the, talk to this guy directly now. I mean, they t- you take away all their leverage, all their power by taking that guy out of the picture. And, that's wow. all they do. and they're very good at winning suits by just, just they don't even worry about the facts of the case because the lawyers don't care about the facts of the case either. You're way wrong if you believe that. I learned this, by the way, from a, a guy that he was, you would call him an ambulance chaser. He says, all we did in our law firm was sue people all day long. We didn't care whether they were guilty, innocent, what the facts were. Our job was to file as many suits as we possibly could. And how we did it is we go out in the morning and we would take a, my secretary would come in. We'd have all these people that called us about their case. And she'd bring this big stack of files and drop it on the desk. Then there was another stack that would come in. And this was another, this is called the B stack. And the A stack was one stack. B stack was the other. You know what was in the A stack? They'd done asset searches on people that were being sued. And they could open it up and go, oh, this guy doesn't have a trust. He doesn't have an LLC. He's got everything in his name. Okay, this is called the asset pile. The B pile was for broke. Assets and broke. He says, so how we, how we made money was we, we notified everybody in the A pile. The secretaries would write the letters. They didn't even read the letters. They just signed them and they just go out threatening to sue. You know, it's like eight out of ten of those would offer to write a check. Because you to let them know, we've done your asset search. There's your leverage. Mm-hmm. You know, we know we can win. Mm-hmm. You really want to fight this or maybe you want to negotiate. Right, right. The yeah, B the ruthless pile. side of all that. Mm-hmm. Then they go to the B pile. People in the B pile, well, those aren't cases. Well, actually, they could be cases if the client will write a retainer check. And they do this to people in criminal cases all the time. Hey, we think we got a case here. We we probably win this case for you, but, you know, it's going to be 10000 up front and who knows how much later. And then they never hear from the attorney again, barely have a couple of interviews. I mean, next thing you know, they're, they're on the phone with the prosecutor negotiating for five minutes, a, a, a settlement. And of course, by that time, the client's so nervous, doesn't want to fight, can't afford any more money that they end up going to jail. And that's the injustice in the system because you really need to stay in control of the situation. Yet, and, and these guys make money all day long. I mean, I can't, all, every day, I probably get an email from somebody, Hire an attorney, blah, 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 took my money. He's not doing anything. You know, here's why I'm innocent or whatever. Uh, what do I do? I go, well, first of all, you shouldn't have hired the attorney. There's, there's, there's what you should do. In other words, you've kind of started the fire. But, you know, sometimes we talk them through a few things that they can try um, on their own, giving themselves legal advice, not us. We're just trying to show them where their flaws might be and where they can research and look. And then in the end, the, the, you know, they sometimes they end up getting a better deal or sometimes a case dropped, just like those two cases I told you about. And they went through the whole attorney game and the gamut and the gauntlet. And, you know, they saw all the things that you can do to screw it up. Again, I'm not saying never to have an attorney. Sometimes that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. I'm simply saying, though, there are, is a third choice, and that is you. And usually that's the best one, in my opinion, from what we see. But not everybody wins just because they choose that. Absolutely not, because most people don't have what it takes to hang in there and do the homework and study till 3 a.m. and turn off everything in their life that they have to to get this right. 
-hmm. but you'll be like most of those guys. Both of those guys came to me and just said, I mean, I couldn't get them off the phone. They were just in tears thanking me for not for winning the case. I said, I didn't win the case. You won it. You did the work, but you, you're the one that grew and learned, you know, something from this. And they'll, they know how powerful they are now. They'll never, they're, they're almost untouchable in the legal system because they'll know how to deal with it now. Fantastic. Nothing scares the courts, the judges, and the prosecutors more than an, an op- opposing guy that knows the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah. And so are there, I know this is looking probably for a silver bullet or something like that, but uh, are there key questions that you that you teach or you kind of have in your back pocket? I know you've dropped a few already. Or do well, you- I, I guess it, it kind of depends on what I know and what approach I'm going to use. I mean, mm-hmm. some people come in and strictly use the, you know, we're dealing with the trust situation here, you know, and I'm just the executor of that trust beneficiary and you're the trustee and your job is to settle this matter. And that's about all I can say about it. It doesn't even go past that. Mm-hmm. I think you've had a gentleman on here who talks a lot about that. Um, um I'll think his slipping my nine. Not name. Elf. Anyway, yeah, it wouldn't but, be Alphonse. Uh, that's not his approach. <clears throat> um, but, but sometimes yeah. that's that's an approach. We do have some information on how to approach things that way. But mm-hmm. if you're going to go that way, you kind of understand a little bit about trust law. Mm-hmm. You kind of have a basic understanding of what you're really saying because it'll come across really quick when they ask you a question, and then you try to answer it. Which, by the way, is a no-no. <laughs> right. I was but just going to ask. The fact yeah. that you tried to answer is the setup. Right. Get because you off your game. because you're making claims and you have to prove your claims. Is that it? Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. He who mm-hmm. states a claim must prove it. And people are, it's so hard. This is the hardest thing to learn. Well, you mm-hmm. can't do this because that, you know, the law says that. Oh, so no longer, you're not the beneficiary. Now you're the defendant. You're arguing. Uh-huh. You just lost your, your position instantly. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful. So if you take that angle, that's one, one thing. Uh, the other magic questions are that sometimes people use is, you know, can this court prove it has jurisdiction? And if so, please provide the evidence. There's no evidence of it. But that's a real basic one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you, you shouldn't go in there with the attitude of just beating the court. You're really thinking of the, the opposition is that prosecutor, that opposing attorney. That's who you're focused on, not the judge. Right. You're there to get the judge to work for you. Um, another term for it used in common law, I think the term is called tip staff. His job is actually just to be your your puppet for you, not the other guy. But it'll always appear that he is a puppet for them. I totally agree that's how it'll appear because you're the one there with no knowledge. You're not asking the right questions. You know, Their job is to, and then their job is to uh, intimidate you, frighten you, get you emotional, emotional, non-logical non-motion. Um, and once they get you there, they're in both all the parties on the other side are in complete control. The judge is in control, the prosecutor's in control once you become super emotional. The only way you can overcome that, you want to know how to, you know the trick to overcoming that? Yes, I do know. <laughs> That's my whole subject, but go ahead. Go, go to court and watch it for a while. Watch what happens and pretend like you are the person. What would you do differently? Mm-hmm. I mean, do a lot of this. The second thing is, is you may have to go to court and lose a couple of times and, and not get thrown in jail for contempt because you're doing something foolish, but because, eh, you know, I was close. I almost figured it out. And about the third time you do it, you'll be very confident. 
But until you've, you know, like the first time you said, walk that tightrope, how does it feel? Scary. Scary. And the second time is still pretty scary. But once you've done it the third time, you're like, okay, I, I can I can do this. You pick up the stick and you just go. Mm -hmm. So it's like that. You can't expect yourself to be an expert the first time in. You know, sometimes you might be in a trial that goes on for, there might be 20 or 30 hearings. By the time you get to that second or third hearing, you're going to start figuring out. You're going to like, you know, that whatever, if they say something you're not sure of, object. You don't have to know why, by the way. It's good if you do, definitely better. But what did you do when you object, for example? People forget to do this all the time. And it's the, see, what I learned is in these lower courts, the first entry-level courts you go to, you will almost always lose. Get used to that idea. But if you object on reasonable grounds and, you know, in a, in a polite way, you don't ever argue. They say object, overruled, or, or you know, they, they agree, right? Whatever it is. Or if they overrule it, thank you, Your Honor. Move on. You don't go, but uh, I want to super object. <laughs> you watch the movie um, A Few Good Men. There's a there's a scene in there where Demi Moore steps up and she's they they object and the judge says sustain. She goes, I want to renew the objection. It's a it's a whatever objection. She made it some sort of like colorful color of the objection. And when they were done, they goes, Oh, really? That's that's how it works, huh? You know, she's just like a fool because she didn't understand that an objection creates an issue for appeal. Once you create enough issues for appeal, you've leveraged your position to possibly negotiate that deal. It's all that negotiating thing again. Objections are negotiating. Objection, Your Honor. You know, that violates my, my right to uh, the Fourth Amendment, right to you know, be due process prior to losing possession of property. I created the objection. I've had judges say, okay, you know, I got it, because I re repeat it. I don't need to repeat it. Go, You've reserved it for appeal. Got it. They've said that. My son, my son had a traffic ticket. Same thing. He brought it up a couple of times. He says, okay, so you don't need to say it again. You have preserved it for appeal. Set mm -hmm. it on the record. Mm -hmm. that is the, that's, that's your leverage. Once you've preserved enough issues for appeal, that court's probably going to want to say, do we want to go to appeal on this case or not? Because he obviously knew what he was doing because he was using objections correctly. Mm -hmm. that, that scares them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so, your. Don't be afraid to screw up, but get, get your objections in, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and make a note of it. You got to like go get the record, circle it where I objected, because you're going to have to use that to write an appeal. The appeal is only about the issues you objected to or motions that were denied. That's basically how the rules work. Again, procedures. So, don't be afraid of them turning down an objection. It's they're going to probably. But you preserved it for appeal. And then when it comes to negotiating, you got enough on the table. And I'm telling you from personal experience, when you can say, you know, I objected to this, did this motion, this, all this stuff's going to go into appeals. Are you sure you want to go to trial with this? Or do you want to work something out? Mm -hmm. Something was worked out. Fairly harmless. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this so many times. I know this works. And do I have to walk in there and say, you know, and I'm a glow-in-the-dark sovereign. You can't touch me. You know, you're just a, a, a black, a black, you know, cross-dressing judge and a prostitute and attorney and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, I say those things because it kind of makes me 
puts things in perspective. I don't fear these people now, but um, you're in control when you do these kind of things. When you're asking questions, when you're citing proper objections, when you're following procedures, you're actually demonstrating competency and control. Now, if you have a losing case, I mean, you drove, you're drunk and driving, you drove through a intersection and crashed into the car, you know, you think you're not going to walk away from that without some cost because you have to bring equity to the situation. That's the purpose of the court is to bring equity to the situation. Equity meaning are the parties made whole? Are you, you know, I mean, sometimes you can't make them whole. So that's why they put you in jail to sort of pay your debt to society, you know, to be punished for stepping out and doing something stupid and foolish. Now, one time, first time DUI, where it's pretty minor, sometimes we can help those people. But if it's a repeat one and they come back two or three times, I had one guy, he had, was just, he first of all, he didn't tell us he had priors. And then we got further into it. Oh, yeah, not only one, but two. Oh, no, three priors. And then he, he got so nasty with this, he started, he had his mother call. And I said, Dude, I know why your mother called because you have no personal responsibility whatsoever. <laughs> and now your mommy's calling. You're a grown man in his 40s, and his mother is calling and swearing at us. You know, we're like, we did all this work, helped them. Then he tells us the truth. You know, and you know, we we'd spent a lot of time, money, and research on helping him. And he kept revealing little facts like that. Then his behavior, this courts see this in an instant out of people. They're they're good at testing you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. finding out where you're really at. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we don't want to find ourselves in that situation. You know, you want to be live in honor. You don't want to bring harm or risk to people. If you steal from people, you will, you will have to pay for that. That's not what we're here about. But it's all this other stuff that they try to get people. Like, like it's kind of interesting in Oregon, um, across the river over here, they have actually passed a law that uh, they can't, pull you over and just start ticketing you because you got a taillight out or a, or a, or a something like that. That's just wrong. That's just basically wrong. They can't turn that into a multiple charged event. Oh, good. They're actually observing fruit of the poison tree theory, which, which is supposed to be true in all law, but these legal agencies take advantage of that. They find one little discrepancy. They pull you over. They start doing, Oh, I'm going to search your car, which by the way, you can say, I do not consent. It's your way of saying I object, because that makes the that makes the the search illegal. Mm-hmm. Have to have your consent or a warrant. And I said, do you have a warrant? No. Well, we're going to ask. We're going to search your car anyway. Well, I do not consent. Are you recording this? Because I'm recording. And now you've got your objection for appeal. That that search is illegal. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. People mm-hmm. say they forced me to search my car. Well, sometimes they do, but if you don't, at least build a record. Because court starts the second the lights go on. Remember that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, very the good. Beginning to be gathered. They can work for you or against you. You sit with your car roll, window rolled up because there's so much smoke inside your car. You know, you're like Cheech and Chong, you know. <laughs> What's wrong, officer? You know, I mean, <laughs> that's not going to go, you know. They, they smell it. They, they at least know that and if they're in a state where that's illegal, well, you just gave them probable cause. But you volunteered that. You're all down the window. You know, little things like that. So if you can be on the road, by the way, please be an honor, be safe first for me, for my kids, if not for yourself, for your kids. But um, Amen. it doesn't mean that a lot of these things that they charge you with aren't nonsense. Okay. You got to know mm-hmm. the difference. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Oh, wow. This is so good. Uh, so TJ, I forgot to ask you about your time today. I just want to know how to gauge the rest of my questions. I don't know, probably another 20 minutes or so. 20 minutes? Okay, good to know. Good to know. So um, the first question is, would you consider doing a workshop <laughs> since we're, we're, I've got more questions on negotiate <laughs> and contracts and negotiations? A workshop on contracts and negotiations. Well, if I organize the whole thing for you? Uh, we'll talk privately about that. Okay, that sounds good. I'm just putting you on the spot. <laughs> trying to negotiate with me, are you? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I know who you're trying to negotiate with, right? I am, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Just wanted to blurt that out in case. And so would you like to talk about um, language and the spells of language? I heard you call yourself a pattern hunter. I'm also a pattern hunter, absolutely working with archetypes. And the Bible is a really good place to hunt patterns. I've been working with Jacqueline Milne on that mm -hmm. side. Uh, then I want to definitely talk about some public, private, and uh, you know your your uh, ministry that that you're running. Sort of what the structure of that is, if it's not too personal to ask. But uh, what what can you tell us about the words and syntax? Is it stuff that you're you you just want to be really aware of in their contracts, or are you using that as you're contracting? Well, you just threw a lot together there in that question. <laughs> My ministry is a self-supporting ministry, which means it's a privately con contract ministry. Serving God's purpose, which technically means it by by the biblical definition is a church. Beautiful. So a private membership that's, association. That's, there's also, also legal definitions of church too, which they'll debate you on. But I, I'm not using that definition. I'm using my biblical definition. Right. Where it's two or more gathered. We're in church right now. Beautiful. Okay. Beautiful. So unregistered then, just to clarify that. It's unregistered, right? If mm -hmm. I register Excellent. it, I make it a creature of the state, then there's no point in doing it. Mm-hmm. There's people that do a corporation souls. It's not what I claim to be. Uh, they become nonprofit organizations and they register under 501c3. But under section 501, 508c3c, I think it is off the top of my head, uh, it says that, you know, it is exempt. A private organization or church of this nature is exempt. That's what it says. That's my interpretation of it. And, um, it doesn't mean I don't have to follow the law. It doesn't mean I don't have to pay taxes. It doesn't mean I have to do, do anything. I just don't have a filing requirement for a lot of things, registrations and what have you. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody wants to debate me on that, let me know. But back up your claim because that's what I find. Mm -hmm. um, it's it, it is biblical. It, it, just to, to huh? um, back you up there, it's it's fully biblical. This is recommended going into the private. Yeah, I'm in the process of building up my private membership association right now. So everyone yeah. stay tuned on that. Similar type of rules you're under there. So as long as you know some basic rules, you usually can do quite well. Somebody makes a claim you're doing it wrong, they say, well, prove your claim. Usually they can't. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you ventured into syntax a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, in my approach to that, generally, I mean, this again, this is one of those, it's a whole seminar subject by itself because literally we have an eight hour, well, it's probably more than that, actually. It's probably closer to 16 hour web recorded seminar in our premium membership area for our members on this. So it gets into great detail. Mm -hmm. And that's still just a good overview of it. It's, a very deep pro process, project, a process. Um, everything in life, even 
I mean, every word we speak, every sound we make is a frequency. It's a, it's a, it's literally a moving vibration in the, in the universe. And if I use a certain letter or a certain number, it has a sound too. Well, in, in cryptography, which is, I was a cryptographist in the, in the, the military and did some little work side work with the, the agencies, three letter agencies. Um, everything can be decoded and encoded really well. The entire legal system we have follows a pattern and a code. As a matter of fact, they call those statutes codes. They tell you right there yeah. in front of you. And, um, you. and you and I just hear it as talk, communications, words. But the reality is there's, it's, it's literally a radio wave or a vibrational wave that moves through the air into our ears, into our brain, and it registers, and we we can we've learned how to understand and interpret that information. Um, when it comes to legal documents and legal situations, the question is: Is do you really understand how all that works? Do you? I frankly, I think sometimes I do, and sometimes I think I don't I don't know the first darn thing. Reality is it's very complicated, but it's also, if it's vibrational and there's frequency, that's a, that's a measurement of something, then it's numerical. It's numerical. It has a numerical pattern. I can take any spoken sentence, speak it to Google in a millisecond. It converts it into letters or numbers on a screen. It's converting a vibration into letters and numbers and it's, it's encoding and recoding this sound. So it was in World War II where a lot of this was discovered. Uh, if you ever watched the movie The Imitation Game, really good movie. If you want to understand where this came from, and it's probably not the origin of it, but it was a big breakthrough. They designed a supercomputer to break German codes, but they didn't have a supercomputer. They had to build the supercomputer. And it's about this guy that figured out that everything is numerical. Everything can be coded and recoded. And it can. Those codes can be interpreted and broken. But we're using it all the time. On the Internet, everything we're doing now is all digitally encoded, uh, you know, address-based. You talk about you can't get away with anything because everything's traceable through IPs. Yeah. And then some and a whole lot more. Even the voice signals we're, we're recording right now are recorded and can be identified like a fingerprint. Okay? Get over it. It is what it is right now. Mm -hmm. But they invented that, that technology to, to break up the, the German codes. In fact, it was so effective. And in the story, you hear this. This one guy's brother is on a ship. And we figured out that we can find sh ships, that we can stop the Germans from bombing ships crossing the Atlantic Ocean because we would know where the subs were going to be. We could go in and bomb those subs. But they decided in the, in, in the story they had to let some subs go and let subs subs go ahead and kill some ships because if we kill them all, they'd know we'd broken the code. So they were intentionally letting some subs go ahead and bomb ships. And this one guy's brother was on one of these ships. He goes, we can't stop this one. He goes, we can't let them know we know. Do you use the, the intelligence game? That's how it works. Yeah. And do you use this principle in law? That you well, sure. Cause I'm not going to tell them everything I know. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell them everybody understand. I don't walk up there and go, well, I had read this and this, therefore you have to do that. No, I just have to do it in action sometimes. Uh, the, the word I use is substance of transaction. 
substance of transaction. In other words, what is my interaction like? That's far more important some, than sometimes what I say. My actions speak louder than my words. And so sometimes you're, you're really thinking in another dimension when you're working in court even. You know, you're kind of kind of you're ahead of everybody a little bit because you understand where it's going. Now, in syntax and coding, so there is a thing called quantum language, which is essentially what we're talking about with syntaxing. It's saying taking everything that's put into numbers and that we see, and it actually has numerical values. It can be converted into a digital code. This is zeros and ones, rows and rows of them, and it actually, actually, when you convert something to numbers, it tells the truth. In other words, it's mathematical. It adds up or it doesn't. And what we have with our language code used in the legal, it's called legalese. We've heard that term legalese. Mm -hmm. It's a language code. It's not intended for us to actually know what it is. It only sounds like English, but in actuality, it's all encoded language. And in some cases, it's encoded to intentionally not mean anything, but it sounds important. So it gives them what's called a fictional authority. But if you actually did the math on the code of the language, you'd find out it doesn't add up to anything. Therefore, it means nothing. Hmm. They write the statutes and the codes intentionally to mean nothing. That's but, why you numb out when you read them. You numb out. You're like, yeah, subpart A of paragraph B says three. But even the, just the wording of some of the codes themselves, you read it. And it, it, like, for example, you're taught in English that there's a verb and a noun and a, there's a parts to a sentence that work. They're supposed to be there every time or it doesn't work. The sentence doesn't work. You look at their sentences. They're so long in some cases. There are three or four lines of a sentence with adverb, verb, adverb, verb, adverb, verb. Well, every time there's an adverb, verb, it's a cancellation. It doesn't mean anything. It has a zero meaning in a numerical sense. So in other words, they're writing intentionally to make it sound like, hey, we're going to, you did all this. When actually what they said doesn't mean anything. But if your substance of transaction, you respond to it as if guilty, not guilty. You just said you understand the language. And guess what? Now they can hold it on you. Because yeah. they can't bring a charge on something you don't understand. The Sixth Amendment says you must understand the nature and cause to proceed. Entering a plea says you understand the nature and cause of something you couldn't possibly understand. And your lawyer doesn't understand. The prosecutor doesn't understand. Even the judge doesn't understand it. They have to go to case law and see what they said they think it means. <laughs> you want to learn how to win a case? Read, learn how to read case law because that's what they do. Because you can't understand. You only argue the statute. The statute says this, this, and this, and this. Well, there's two problems. What does the case law actually say? That's the interpretation. The interpretation of a foreign language. Or, or you know, it, 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 they have to rely on that. So when we do syntax, and the way we try to teach syntax is to help understand that when you can go through and identify sentences that have these, bro these bad sentences, that becomes what's called a no-no. It means nothing. The sentence is canceled. If you took a sentence out of a certain charge, like you were driving 85 and a 55 speed limit, where the limit was blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? What that sentence was taken out of the charge? What does the charge say? Mm, nothing. Nothing, exactly. <laughs> it's a no-no. It's a zero. Right. Yet you act like it's real. So when you we syntax, we do with this breakdown. We show them how to 
We actually identify certain sentence patterns. We use everything from zero to eight that we circle above the, 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 the word, whether it's an adverb, verb, that there's two verbs, two adverb, verbs back to back. That's a cancellation. You know, stuff like that. There's some rules. Actually, it's kind of cool when you start realizing you go, I can actually see, I can see what they're doing here. You're not totally encoding the language, but you are showing that they're, they're using sentences that don't add up to anything. So when we come to them with the syntax argument, we're saying, well, gosh, you know, I did a study of your language here, and there's no way I can possibly understand this. So, and if you don't act like you're proceeding, you know, saying entering a plea of guilty or innocent, and, you know, you're coming in way too late, you do this at the beginning, say, I need this explained before we can proceed. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you need to rewrite your entire order here because it doesn't make sense. And you, you, they can't bind you just to a contract that is and in con, rules of contract. There must be full disclosure, meeting of the minds, various rules. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. could that be when the language itself doesn't say anything? So is there a contract with the court or not? Brilliant. Brilliant. And you just to just back to 